Welcome back to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. I am your host, Jennifer Vaughn. I hope everyone is doing well out there in podcasting land on this lovely, lovely summer Monday morning. I have corrections to make from last week, but I will save them until next Monday, unless I have another guest, which may be the case. And then, of course, if that is the case, then you will have to wait until the following Monday. Just the way I do shit. But don't fret. I have an amazing interview for you today. You will be hearing from Caitlin Spencer, Twitter handle at MSKate, but it's not the traditional Kate, it's C-A-I-T Spencer. So at Miss Kate Spencer, which is not her real name. It's a made-up name to protect her identity. She's the author of Sunday Times bestseller, Please Let Me Go. She's a respected speaker in the House of Lords in the UK. She's a fierce advocate for victims of human trafficking. And Caitlin herself is a harrowing survivor of human trafficking that has engulfed nearly 20 years of her life. Did I mention that she was also diagnosed with HIV this year as well? Yeah, this woman is truly remarkable. We can all learn from her examples of strength. All the links to Caitlin on Twitter and her book can be found in the description of this podcast. A quick mention that this podcast will include some mentions of rape and abuse in case that is a trigger for any of you listening. I also want to mention that after our interview, Caitlin selflessly made herself available to answer any additional questions you may have. So I was thinking an IG Live would be a good platform to answer those questions. So if any of you have questions for Caitlin after you listen to the interview about her experience or human trafficking questions in general, please send those to my at Jennifer Von HIV DM through Instagram. And the link to that will also be in the description of this podcast. What started simply as an innocent call answering an ad to model turned into years of unspeakable sexual, physical, and psychological abuse. Please welcome my incredibly brave guest today, Caitlin Spencer. When I've thought about your story, I've thought about kids on milk cartons and when they go missing or something like that, we always, you know, we show that on, on a milk carton when I was younger And what do we do? We go to the police if somebody's missing or something like this is happening. But with your story and what I also found um, by watching the Netflix documentary on Centoya Brown, that this can just go on right underneath our noses, Mm. right? It's like in, it's like in, uh, what do they say? In plain sight, it's like almost right in front of us, but nothing's being done about it. And so you're registered by the National Crime Agency as like proof that you have actually been trafficked. I mean, you really had to prove yourself. Yeah, well, especially being British as well, because they don't really look at it for us. It's normally people that have been brought in from other countries. Mm. Um, So, yeah, not many girls get this. And I don't know if you've seen on my Twitter yet, I get a lot of survivors say to me they struggle to go through this process because they're British. Because they won't be believed? Um, There's not really a service for us over here. Um, it's mostly for international trafficking. Okay. Um, like when I was trying to um, get referrals of agencies, they kept saying, sorry, we can't help. We don't deal with British uh, nationals. Oh, my gosh. And why is that? Why would they um, reject their own? I'm not sure. But even the one that did help me, they said this is the first for us. We don't normally. This is rare. Wow. Okay. So this all started, well, you started following me. um, I don't know how long ago, maybe like less than a year ago. More than a year. 
more than a year. Okay. And, um, and yeah. somehow we struck up a conversation and I obviously had not, I did not know your story. So uh, you, you shared, you know, what had happened to you. And I was just, and I've learned obviously a lot more about all of this that had happened. And, and it started with something so innocent, like literally Caitlin, I could have done the exact same thing. And I know I had looked into this when I was younger, it started with an answering an ad for modeling. Yeah. Right. And how old were you? Uh, 14. Not the oldest. I could have been younger, but my dates are awful. Mm-hmm. But it was no later than fourteen. And um, so, what happened? Your um, you answered this ad through what the newspaper? Yeah, it was in like an an advert paper we used to get. It's gone now. Um, like I was off school because we had just moved, so mm-hmm. I was like, I'll just see what's out there because I need to do something. Um, and the school that was near us wouldn't accept me. I'm not sure why, uh, but they accepted my brother, but not me. I can do that. Um, uh, the guy, he did at first say to me, no, you're not old enough. You have to be over 18. Um, but he called me later and said, if you're not going to say anything, I'll come over. Um, you need to make sure your parents aren't there. And if you sign on the form that you're 18 we can do it. So yeah, that's, that's what we did. Um, so he shows up. Yeah. My parents were both at work. It was in the morning as well. 10 o'clock. I, I always remember that. Don't know why. Um, he was about, he was over six foot and I'm, I'm quite short. I'm five foot four. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not big. He was big and scary. Um, mm-hmm. He had started taking kind of normal pictures of me pretty much as soon as he got into the door. There was no form, by the way, nothing. Um, eventually, oh, no form. He had no form. No, no paperwork, no. He was about, I'm guessing, about 28-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and eventually he said to me, we need to the bedroom. And I was thinking, oh, shit. I knew what was in my, my bedroom because I really liked Disney, Winnie the Pooh. Um, it cut out for a second. What did he say to you exactly? Uh, we need to use a bedroom. Bedroom. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, like I just said then, I, I thought, shit, can't use mine. It's full of Disney stuff. So uh, we went into my parents' bedroom then. Um, and he told me to take off all my clothes for the next lot. And I thought, oh, shit, you know, I've never, ever taken my clothes off in front of a guy before. But I'd done it because I was scared. His demeanor sort of changed at that point when we were upstairs. It was sort of sharp and short. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I just well, done that. Well, you're 14, of course. It's mm. got to be terrifying. This man yeah. comes into your home and he's telling you, you know, that you need to go do this. I'm sure, like, you feel like you have no choice. Yeah, it was very, uh, it was scary. Um, I'd done it anyway. Um yeah, he told me to get on the bed. He'd started taking off his clothes and mm-hmm. he'd set up his camera. And at that point, I thought, oh, shit. Um, yeah, it got a bit more scary then. Um, and he just got on top of me and he did rape me on film. And that is out there somewhere on the internet now. That's- a lot of the things that happen to you are out on the internet, right? Yes, yeah, which you'll probably see on my Twitter. You know, a lot of people don't agree with some of the shit I say. 
um, like Pornhub, that needs shutting down. There are so many victims on there. Mm-hmm, on Pornhub. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's full of it. You know, some of mine are on there. Wow. Girls that are being trafficked right now and guys yep. are getting off on this thinking that it's, you know, mutual yeah. or consensual. Yes. And so, so he rapes you and yeah. how does it progress after that? Did you think it was over? Like, oh my God, this just happened to me. And like, I'm not going to tell my parents and hopefully like this will just go away and I don't have to think about it again. Um, during uh, the rape, my brother came home from school. I, I'm not sure if I put this in my book, but I might have. Um, but I pushed the door shut really quick because obviously I felt like I had done something wrong. Um, and I said, don't come in. I've just had a shower. Um, and he had his friend with him. Um, and the guy that was with me at the time said, you better keep your mouth shut because your mum will find out. Didn't he threaten your family if you were to say something? Eventually. Yeah, he threatened to show my parents the video that he took. To keep you quiet. Yeah. Well, no, not just that. To get me to do stuff with his friends. Mm. Okay. Yeah. But now I know they weren't his friends because, like I said, he was 28. And the first guy he took me to was probably, I'd say, 70. 70, 70? Yeah, he was kind of old. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so, and this man that came for the modeling shoot, quote, unquote, was he from the UK? Yeah. Okay, he was. But the man that was 70, was he also from the UK? Yeah, that one was. Okay, Um, so these these are still uh, uh, locals. Yeah, uh, but there were non-UK people as well, so a lot of Asian. We call Asian, I don't know if you call it the same thing, like Middle Eastern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was, was like a, a ring of men, like a ring of men that were frequenting yeah. you and three other girls. That didn't happen straight away. It was oh. when we got passed to someone else. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So like, I know when you were telling me the story before, I kept thinking, but huh, like, how come you couldn't just tell your parents and they would stop it. And like, you know, like that, that whole thing, like people need to understand how insidious this is and how they can get you. Yeah. And literally just come to your door and you leave and you're like, tell me about that, how that happens where your parents are sort of like helpless in all of this. Well, at first with this first guy, um, I obviously didn't tell them. They did find out themselves eventually. Um, and my mum called him. I think I told you about this. Um, and she was swearing down the phone to him. And he actually laughed at her and said, oh, she can't leave me alone. Mm. So he yeah. put it on you, said, you're, you're so into him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my mum called the police and they already knew about it. They already knew about him? About me and him. And him? Yeah, and they said, well, she's a known prostitute in the area. So, you know, I wasn't old enough to do that. So, yeah, that it did carry on for a while. Um I've told you some of the things that happened. He yeah. was a scary guy. And he what was, there. do you say their names in the book? I can't remember. Not the real ones, no. Right. And I've, um, I've given you the real ones. I have given you the real ones. Um, yeah, I've got um, names written down, but I know like you can change whatever you need to change. But so yeah. he was the one that started it all. And he started yeah. bringing you to, this is the part that just is crazy to me. Um, he would just come get you and take you. 
and you would be servicing how many men a day? I mean, if you want to like kind of get to the progression of how this happened, how it kind of turned into not just him or one other man, it was like you, they would take you to a location. It was like a revolving door of men coming in. Yeah, but that's when he disappeared. Oh, okay. So one of the guys he took me to a couple of times. Um, this is the politician guy I've told you about. Um, with him, I'd been kicked out at this point, by the way, so I wasn't living with my parents then. I was right. 16. So obviously there's a long period of this with the first guy. Um, my mum kicked me out because it was just too much. And we have briefly tried to talk about it since, but we just, it doesn't work. It can't, my mum gets quite defensive. Mm -hmm. um, she said she had to do it to protect my brother. All these guys come into the house. I, yeah. And yeah. she felt somehow stuck in all of it. And did she feel also that maybe it was something that you were um, a willing participant in? I think so. Yeah. And so she wanted to like keep your brother from seeing that. And she yep. sounds like a bit that she felt like it was something you were, you know, it was a bit mutual. So she, the best for her was to have you leave, I guess. Yeah. So I stayed in a youth hostel for a while where I would get picked up from um, by this guy. Uh, and he would take us to mostly flats and houses. And sometimes, it's so fucked up, there was, we used one of their daughter's rooms, which was a little girl you could see. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they were pretty. And this uh, was started, so they're picking you up at the youth, youth hostel. They're picking you up yeah. at the youth hostel and they're taking you to different homes. Yeah. And this is, and there's men that are clearly aware that you're going to be there. And so they're coming to um, have sex with you and, and then be on their way. But yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't just sex. There was so much more that was going on. It was yeah. abusive. Yeah. And, it seems like that's what they wanted to do. Inflict pain. Um, the other girls that were brought along were picked up from a children's home mm -hmm. that we had. Um, and this is where the social worker comes in as well because she saw a lot of this go on. And um, what did she do about it? She actually nearly lost her job once because she, one of the girls, um, she was like 12 years old. She uh, And she was picked up from the youth hostel with you? Um, yes, but she was taken back by herself one evening and the guys just threw her out of the car with no clothes on. She was covered in blood and bruises um, and she saw this, the social worker saw this and she launched out there and started screaming at the taxi driver and the manager of the children's home came out and said, you can't talk to him like that. Um, but now I've spoken to this girl I know why now the manager was involved. He used to give her pills and send her out. My gosh. So a lot of corruption. Yeah. And I'm sure like in your position, you're so young. This has now become like a normal part of your life and no one's coming to rescue you. So yeah. this becomes like your norm and all these girls that are doing this, there's no one, you don't even have this ability to just run out of the youth hostel and scream to everybody what's happening because it's like it's all falling on deaf ears so yeah. you're you're a victim like in front of everybody you're walking free on the streets you can you're not in jail anywhere but you're literally in jail with with regards to what's happening to you 
and no one is paying any attention or helping in any way. So what do you do? You go along with it constantly. Yeah, well, it's very hard to just, you couldn't go anywhere without being spotted by these guys because there's a lot of them. Um, Like right now, I could probably probably list about 80 names to you of local guys. That you still see, you see Mm -hmm. a lot of them still on the streets. Yeah, yeah, there's a guy, one of them, uh, one of the worst ones, actually, I see him quite regular driving down my road. Oh, my gosh. Mm. And um, he recognizes you? Um, not when I'm in my car, but if I'm out of the car, yeah. Okay. And then, so this this went on for, like, years. Like, this is years and years. And during that time, you had, you gave me a number um, of how many miscarriages you had. You've had two children. Yeah. From these men. Yeah. And you do know who the fathers are? Um, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've you've got two daughters and tell me about all of those things that have happened. Um, okay. So my first pregnancy, I was just about to turn sixteen. Um and the guy, the that first guy, it was his decision to just get rid. So he took me somewhere because I can't I mean, these are just the ones I remember. Um, then I had, I think the second one was my eldest daughter. So there was quite a space there. Did they um, leave you alone while you were showing, while you were pregnant, or did you continue to be trafficked during that time? Um, when I got really big, they left me alone. Okay. Yeah. And then you had her, and was your, were your parents able to help you? Yeah, they were really good. I actually had moved back in with my parents for a while, not for long, because by the time my eldest was, oh God, two or three months, very small, I was pregnant again. And that time was my mum's decision. Get rid of it. You can't have it. Oh, okay. So you had another abortion then? Yeah, I really didn't want to um, because I was quite late when I found out. Um the hospital had said to me, you're 16 weeks, we can't do this, you're going to need to go to this clinic. And when I got there, they said, you're not 16 weeks. Um, I think I was like 18, something like that. It was quite far. They were like, oh, it was a horrible clinic as well, because they kept saying, oh, it keeps kicking the scanner. So, you know, yeah, it was quite far. And they told me in detail how they had to take it out as well wasn't nice oh my gosh yeah but that was my mum's decision not mine so you had several abortions I think you said you had some miscarriages yeah yeah and you have two daughters that you've successfully raised through all of this but you continued to be trafficked through all of it like having little breaks here and there these men uh for the most part didn't use any condoms right no mostly not they didn't so you can probably imagine how gross that is when you're seeing at least eight guys in mm-hmm. the space of maybe two hours. Just so people have an idea of like really like what you went through. It wasn't just sex. There was always, it seemed to be, there always seemed to be some kind of abuse that would go along with, I don't know if that was just a fetish of theirs, but uh, if you want to share like some of the um, things that happened it's not easy stuff to talk about, but I feel like people should know like what has happened to you and like what girls go through. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I mentioned to you, I was, I was a self-harmer because of all this. 
one of the guys said, let me do that to you. Obviously, I didn't have a choice anyway. So, you know, one of them liked that. And, and you self-harmed to make yourself, you thought, more unattractive because you thought I that thought, was... Yeah, mm -hmm. I thought that would work, but no, it didn't. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know really why I carried on doing it. I just did. Well, I think it's, yeah, psychological. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to help you release some of that, obviously what you're going through, but so somebody would actually cut you. Yeah. Yeah. More than one person. Uh, so they were into some of that. Um, I told you about the one with the drill. There was a guy that held a drill to my knee. Um, he didn't actually do it, but you know, he could have. Mm -hmm. um, there was electrocution. Yeah. Okay. So I, I had people that would I'd be sent this is where it was normally one guy he took me to a hotel room um he brought this massive bag of stuff with him like whips um needles um he had a bat in there I don't know what he planned doing with that but ropes um fuck, I can't remember what else he had there was a lot of stuff he had and it was all this BDSM stuff some of them really liked to hurt hurt you yeah, they got off on that. Yeah. So they would hang you too by your wrists? A hanging play, yeah. But no, some of them like suffocation as well. They like you to nearly pass out. I don't know what it is, but they say it does something for them. I don't know why. Like just as you're about to pass out. Yeah. And it wasn't always just you alone. Sometimes there was uh, the other girls that were involved in this. They would have you guys together as well and film it. Yep. Yeah, there was one of the times, and this was only once, that one of the guys, the politician, he took us up into the room, me and three other girls, two other girls, two other girls, so there's four of us in that room. And who is the politician again? He's from, from England? No, he's not. He's from Pakistan. Yeah. But, but well-known. Yep. Yeah. Very well-known even now. So he, I follow him on Twitter. Have you ever revealed his name or no? No. For fear of your life? Well, yeah, because I've had them say to me that they will pour acid down my throat. Pour acid yeah. down your throat. And I do believe them. Um, mm -hmm. This isn't linked to me, but I know there was a girl that did speak out and they got hold of her and nailed her tongue to a table. Oh, yeah, for speaking out. Are you, yeah, that's the other thing is you're constantly um, threatened. Your life is threatened. So of course you won't say anything and that just keeps you in this cycle that continues. Um, tell me about, uh, so you did end up in Australia for a while. You went yeah. and stayed with this couple. So tell me a little bit about how that happened. Yeah, so um, I will send you something later so you can read it. This guy mm -hmm. is a very feared guy in Australia. Um, I should have known really from the start the, the connections he had. So um, so to start that off, I went over there to stay with a guy who was going to help me get away from this stuff. And it was him that introduced me to the manager of a restaurant we were going to. Yeah, um, they actually just introduced me. I went and sat with this couple who were, you know, conveniently there. And how old were you at this time? I had just turned 18. Okay. So your daughter was still is back in England with your parents then, right? No, I had her later. I mean, this, oh, this okay. is, I mean, I've been five times to Australia. Oh, okay. Lot, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was 18. Um, just. Um, 
when I met them. I went to live with them um, after living with this guy for a while. Um, I knew they owned a brothel, but, you know, I thought everyone was there by choice. Some girls were there by choice. I know that. Um, so I'd done the reception work for them. And I, said, like, I have a question. If they are there by choice, does that mean that they are getting paid? Yeah. Okay, but if you're being trafficked, you're are you ever getting paid? No, no, never. You, you can't. You can't just leave. Okay, okay. You know, so they you make a lot of as money. a receptionist at first. Yeah, I agreed to do that because they said, "Well, you're going to need to sort of pay for the visas because these guys won't do it for free." Mm -hmm. So I said, "Yeah, okay, I don't mind doing that." And all the girls were so nice. Um, all of them were older than me. Um, yeah, and it progressed eventually and the guy of the relationship in this couple said to me you're going to need to do more because we're not making enough money to cover these costs so that's how it turned out I was doing more and more and more and I was having to see clients that were coming in mm -hmm. um, yeah I remember her taking me shopping as well she picked out dresses for me to wear and all this shit for work makeup and that I'm not really I don't wear makeup. It's not me. Mm -hmm. um, too lazy. <laughs> um, yeah, and she picked up all this stuff that I would have to wear for work. Um, yeah, because you they felt like you, you felt like you trusted her. I mean, didn't you feel like you have good feelings towards her? Like she yeah. was sort of feeling like she was helping you. Yeah, even now, this is weird. I do miss her. I, yeah, I do. Um, her I, husband changed the way he was towards you. Yeah. Yes, he wasn't very nice. He scared me. Um, he was huge as well. You know, he looked like a typical mafia guy. Mm -hmm. um, this thing I'll send you, everybody local called him the godfather. Yeah, he was quite scary. Um, when I did say, I can't do this, I'm going to leave. I'm just going to go home. Don't worry about the visas. He said, yeah, okay, you can leave. I started picking up my stuff and he just changed. He pinned me against the wall by my throat, um, held his fist against my face, then launched me across the room. And yeah, he said, you're not leaving. So how long were you at that location with them? And it was the same situation where you were just servicing men all day? Yeah, a lot. Um, probably more than at home, actually. Was uh, it as abusive in Australia? No, no, not always. It wasn't actually. Um, so I had one guy that used to come and see me there quite a lot, at least once a week. Mm -hmm. Nice Australian guy. Um, and he never was horrible to me. He used to just come and pay to just lay next to me sometimes, which was, you know, welcome break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he used to say, oh, I want to take you to the Great Bar the Reef, you know, the Reef thing. Great Barrier Reef, is Great it? Great Barrier Reef, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he was just really nice to me. I remember him. Um, I can imagine that you had dreams for your future at some point, and all of a sudden you were in this whirlwind of things that you obviously don't want to be doing. Are you just did you, do you just at some point just not you just let go of all those dreams? Are you sad? Are you like numb? Like how do you process this every day going through this? Do you mean now or back then? When then, yeah. Um, so the self-harm stuff that helped, I guess. Um, I did sometimes drink alcohol. 
Did um, you think in the midst of all of this that there is going to be an end to this someday? Or did you fear that yeah. you would just eventually die? Or like, what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, I didn't think I would ever get out of it. Um, so back to when I was a little bit younger um, with these guys, the Asian, Middle Eastern guys, there was one guy I got taken to a flat with. Um, I still think to this day he was looking probably for somebody to kill because he was really, I don't know how to describe him. He took me to his house, flat, whatever it was. Um, we watched TV for about half an hour, which wasn't normal in the first place. And he just started pacing and pacing. And he took me up into his room and he was doing the same again. And he said, you're just not like these other girls. You shouldn't be here. You need to leave now. He said, yeah, you're just not like them. You're not one of them. Um, I don't know, I just think there's something really weird about him. Mm -hmm. And I did sense a lot of danger when he started doing that. What do you think he meant by you weren't like the other girls? Um, I don't know, because probably I know, I know a lot of sex workers and they can, the ones I've met can be very cold and I can understand why, drug mm -hmm. users, etc. I am quite opposite, so... I am submissive, even now I am, really. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm quiet, I'm kind of shy, I don't do, I don't do drugs or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, so back then, if you'd compare me to them, I was very different. Uh, yeah, I didn't do anything like that. You don't, you're submissive, but you've got great swear words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you swear in messages. It cracks me up. <laughs> so uh, you did, obviously, at some point came back from Australia. Yeah. Um, so do you mean after this couple in Australia that I was yeah. there? Yeah. Um, so I was there for about nine months with them. I was stuck with them. Um, and I remember Bob showing me, he said, this is how much money you've made. And it was something like 30,000, 30, something like that. And he said, you can get that when you come back. And I said, yeah, no problem. <sighs> I knew it wasn't going to happen anyway. He just wanted me to go back. I got my mum to ring him and say, I want her to come back for Christmas. For the holidays, that's right. Okay, so that's how I you got out of it. Because I said, I'm just going to go to the shop. Because we we're allowed to the shop across the road where they could see. And mm -hmm. I went to the play phone and I rang my mum. So just say you want me to come back for Christmas. Uh, and that was that. And then you got out of there and got back home. But yeah. then it all started up as soon as you got home, right? Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it did. And how did that happen? Is it the same? Are they just aware that you're back? Yeah. Seeing yeah. me on the street and I was too scared to do anything. So I just do as I'm told. Mm -hmm. it That's up. it. Yeah. You're yeah. basically, you do as you're told. And I'm sure at some point it just becomes like, robotic like you you already know the you already know like there's like really nothing you can do about it so the best thing to do is to be submissive do what they want you to do because yeah. you you already know that there's been no help up until this point at all no one's helping you so right. you might as well go along with it because otherwise your life could be at stake yeah because um you know they're not as violent if you give in mm. but if you do argue with them they don't like that mm -hmm. So how old are you then? About you're um, still eighteen. So yeah, I was eighteen still. Okay. Went on for a while again. Um, 
my timelines aren't great on this. I can't even remember the years I made it back to Australia. Uh, but yeah, that's that's why I kept going to Australia to get away. Overall, you've been trafficked for like how many years would you say it was? You started at 14 and then it kind of ended at what point? Um, I've never officially stated this, but the last time anything happened was 2018. So after I'd even written my book. Wow. Yeah. So... So you were still trafficked even after you wrote your book. Yeah. But that and are happened. you still in fear that, that something could happen even tomorrow? Um, I don't know because, like I said, I do see these guys. Uh, I had one follow me into the shops during the pandemic when we all had to mask up. Um, I knew I was being followed by someone, but I couldn't see who was under there because he had a hat as well. Mm -hmm. And he had his baby daughter in. Uh, pushchair so she was tiny tiny and then it got to a point where you go in it's super dry so you go in and you've got it it's all blocked off here so I was here and this guy was behind me and I just sort of looked at him so what the fuck um and he took his mask down and then I thought oh, fucking hell that's typical one of them yeah and he gave me a number and I said I can't I'm married I'm not fucking married but yeah yeah and he did he did leave me alone after that, but even now he does still try if he sees me. And your your daughters are completely unaware of anything that's happened to you. Yeah, it's been it's like living a double life. It's very very hard to cover everything. You know, even for this, I've had to take them out because I don't want them to know any of this. Right, and I know that people could hear this, and I know that you've had a lot of people that have uh, not believed your story, but yeah. like you've said, you have actually been registered by the National Crime Agency, proving that you were trafficked. Like, this is not, you're not making this up. You're also backed by, by many celebrities, Deborah Messing, Rosanna Arquette, yeah. and um, Selma Blair, and yeah. they're friends of yours. I mean, yeah. they're supporting what you've gone through. This is not somebody making this up. It's just, it just shows how really, like I said before, how insidious it is and how you get trapped in this and you can't get out of it, even while you're raising kids, you know, and you'd think it's over and it's still not. No, I mean, I did, even from a young age, I did try and tell somebody. So I spoke to doctors. I've got medical records about all of this going back to when I was 15. Um, yes, because you've so had some horrific things done to your body where you needed yeah. help i yeah. can't even imagine how many bladder infections you probably had i had a lot of stis as well all the That's, time yep yeah. i bet like and you were recently diagnosed with hiv as well Are, is that okay to say i wasn't sure if you were out about that i'm not but it's fine it's is it fine. okay okay um, yeah i mean like i told you rosanna knows i have this someone knows i have this because I am fairly close to both of those. Um, and for those that don't know, Rosanna, Rosanna's sister, Alexis Arquette, had HIV as well, is no longer alive. So Rosanna's obviously very sympathetic to this diagnosis. Yeah, she was the first person I called because I knew she would understand it, probably be able to explain to me stuff a bit better because I, I didn't know shit, you know. And were you sick when you were diagnosed? Yeah, very. Um, I was at work one evening um, and I got covered in all these red dots, purple and red dots, and I was just getting bruises appearing out of nowhere. Um, so I rang our helpline and I said, I've got these, this rash. They said, send us a photo. I done that. They said, that's even meningitis. Except to see me, you need to come in now. I said, no, I'll finish my shift, then I'll come. 
and I went actually two days later um, and they'd done all these tests and said that I had severe um, thrombocytopenia. Don't know if you know what that is. No, I mean, kind of, but it's, yeah, explain what that is again. Thrombocytopenia. Yeah, so when I got in there, I had very, very low platelets. I had mm -hmm. like 50. Um, while I was in there, they went down to zero, which is the worst you can get. Meaning um, your T-cells. Was it your T-cells? No, your platelets. Platelets, okay. So it's not so your T-cells. Your blood just can't clot at all. So your Got risk it. of brain bleed and all sorts of stuff. Um, I was in for over a week. Um, and they tested for that as well. But I don't think they wanted to tell me the result, but I kept hounding them. I was like, so what have they said? And they said, we're going to wait for a specialist. And I'm glad I pestered them because I didn't get to see a specialist for another two weeks. And then you got the diagnosis. Did you, were you thinking possibly that it could have been that? HIV? Yeah, with my history. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being the way I am, I am really needle phobic of anything in my veins. I won't let them touch me for a blood test unless I'm knocked that, out. That's right. You have a huge phobia about needles being put yeah. into your arm. And that was due to things that have happened to you through. Yeah, I've, I've been and had needles shoved into me. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't, I don't, I'm not very nice if someone comes up with a needle, mm -hmm. everyone gets the C word thrown at them. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah. I know that you said that I think Selma Blair had offered to pay for you to be um, put under basically, if you have to have your blood taken, that she would oh, help yeah. take she care of that. She was so good. She sent me, like, I've got so many video messages. She was keeping me sort of entertained while I was in the hospital. Yeah. Mm. And she... So yeah, just let me know what it costs and tell them I'll pay for it. And she sent so many videos that if you've got any fans of mine there, show them this video, tell them I'll do a whatever it was with them. I can't remember. I should offer to do something with them. But she was really yeah, good. Amazing. What a what a great woman and person she is. Thank and you. so amazing that she's put herself out there with her diagnosis too. Yeah. I've been following her carefully. So uh, you don't you basically don't you don't know where the HIV came from. Clearly, it would be too hard to figure no, that out. Because I told you about that avidity test I had, didn't I? What is that again? The It marks whether it's a new infection or not. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it says that it's not a recent infection. Mm -hmm. um, and after I sat down with my consultant, she said, with what you had, the thrombocytopenia and your viral load, it's going to be many years. You've had it. But You're a, are you undetectable now? Well, yeah, but only just, I think. Um mm. Yeah, I, I got that in, well, I told you. How many weeks ago was that? Three, maybe? Maybe. Yeah, I've got a bad timeline thing. Um, but yeah, I got to undetectable, but you're not officially undetectable until it's been six months, are you? Well, I don't know. I mean, once you're undetectable, you're undetectable. What difference does it make? It's like, you're not going to be extra undetectable. Like, let's say you're undetectable at two months. You won't be more undetectable at six months that's what I don't really understand I think some people it just takes up to six months but you know I was undetectable within I don't know in the UK I think they are at 50 and under is that their 40 40 okay yeah and for my doctor she goes with 20 and under so I mean I would say within I think it was six weeks I was already at 35 but she wouldn't count that because she wanted it to be 20 and under but truly I was already undetectable so it does it happens quickly and then yeah. what is, what's your CD4 count now? Do you know? Uh, 
think it's at like 400 ish 400 yeah yeah you were 278 it was 278 at its lowest yeah which they were surprised about my viral load Mm -hmm. what was your viral load again when you were diagnosed um over five million five million shit that was it's like five three whatever i can't remember it's a lot of numbers yeah i think Brittany ann was in the millions also and i think that her cd4 was down to like you're right like her cd4 was under 10 i think it was like a four yeah but um yeah you're lucky that yours wasn't lower but still it's still it was still low yeah and so what are you what are you taking now for your Uh, medication you're Um, you're trimac yeah i I don't know if it's making me ill because since i've been taking it i don't feel better i feel worse Mm, well i definitely had that side effect where i felt sick about an hour later for you know, maybe 10 minutes, I'd have a headache and a stomachache. I've talked about it so much on all my stuff. Um, and then when they switched me to Devato, which is basically Triumec, but it's just the back of ear is taken out, that all went away. So see if you can get on Devato. Yeah, I might, I might ask them. Um, I actually, I, I forgot to take my meds for a few days, the last few days. Mm-hmm. And I do feel better for it. I will take it again, though, because I know it's really bad to not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I need something different. Yeah, just talk to your doctor definitely and see if you can. I Devato for me has been like I I don't feel anything from it at all, so I'm really I'm really happy with it. Okay, so you also speak at the House of Lords, which is a, a very big deal. So I got asked um, the first time by a lady called Baroness Cox. Um, she's really lovely. She's like 80 years old, and she is founder of the Humanitarian Aid Relief Trust. So, yeah, she invited me in to speak. I was terrified. Um, I said, you need to make sure it's closed because of my identity. So they've done that. It was just, you know, lords and ladies. So I'd done that. It was like about how, many, how many lords and ladies are there? It looked like 100, but I think it was about 12. <laughs> <laughs> and so you go in there and you tell them about what happened to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, and I've been invited back quite a few times since. I don't always go because sometimes I think three days notice is okay. It's not. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to prepare for that sort of thing because they like it in an order. So I need to really, I need to write it down so I don't stumble my words or skip parts, you know, big parts. What was their um, response to what you shared with them? Um, well, not many of them spoke to me, which is what I wanted. I didn't want to be approached, you know, okay. I wanted to get out there. Um, but I know even now, I've, you'll see on my Twitter, I've got a lot of MPs on my Twitter. They're parliamentary members. Members of um, parliament, is that MP? Yeah, that's okay. it. Um, and they say that my book is just, it's causing like, uh, such a positive um, outcome in Parliament. It's everybody knows about it in Parliament, and it is making some differences. Um, and again, it's called yeah. "Please Let Me Go." And you were yeah. you had a ghostwriter help you write this? Yeah, I would have never been done it. I've been able to do it on my own. She was really, really good. Uh, her name's Linda. Um, yeah, she just she interviewed me on tape asked me what she needed to ask me. I told her everything and she got it all nice and neat and tidy for me. Cause so you're I, very happy with the final product yeah. and you I feel mean, like I your story was told exactly like you wanted it. 
Yeah, there's a lot that needs, like we've, we spoke about the ones locally. Um, I was hoping to do a second book because there's not everything in there. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, me and Linda have spoken about this a lot. Um, there's so much more that needs to be out there because people assume I was only trafficked by Middle Eastern guys. No. Um, and the amount of far-right people that try and use my story to create problems is fucking ridiculous. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? Um, have you ever heard of the English Defence League? No. Okay, so it's a horrible far-right group. I think okay. you have the Proud Boys over there or something. Yeah? Do you know who okay. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? Yeah, they're like that. Okay. The far-right, okay. Yeah. And that's, um, that's in England. And they use your story? Yeah, saying, see, this is what Muslim men are like. They're all rapists. This is what they are like. Um, so they've tried to use that to create racial tension. Um, and I've gone a few times on Twitter and gone, actually, no, this is my book. And this is how it really is. They do not like it if I say a white guy has been involved. Mm. I get called a race traitor, a liar. You know, you get a lot of abuse from them. And and people wonder why girls that are trafficked don't say anything. I mean, look yeah. at, like, you spoke out and look at what happens. You still, you're harassed. Um, I had a guy at it the other day on Twitter saying to me, <laughs> leave it to the grown-ups. You don't know anything. Okay, I don't know anything. Fair enough. No, this isn't your no, whole, like, life experience here. <laughs> I'm curious what you think about, um, I had written to you the other day about Alexis can't remember her last name. Martin, was it? Oh, Alexis Martin. Yeah, because I just listened to a podcast on her about what had happened to her because she was also trafficked. And um, Centoya Brown, obviously, is very well known. I follow her on Instagram. And, yeah. um, of course, she killed the man that was um, raping her. And then, of course, she was sent to jail. So, you know, these girls are re-victimized by trying to get out of it. And then yeah. we, you and I had kind of talked about the fact that, well, in some ways, if they could get out of this cycle and be in some kind of detention or jail, it's sort of like safer for them in a way, but it's how psychologically messed up is that because you're being punished for something that's you've been um, abused yeah. and you're being punished for this abuse, basically. So, yeah, why not lock the guys away? It's, I don't get it. You know, they just don't lock people away. Um, I can understand how girls would kill these kind of guys. Mm. Um, I actually did have the plan to kill that first one. Um, I nearly got locked up in a mental place, in an institute. Uh, I took a big knife out. I don't have much memory of it, but I have the medical record. I arranged to meet him. Yeah, I was going to stab him. Um, and somehow my dad had come and got me and took me to the hospital and they wanted to section me. They had asked me loads of questions. I did tell them about him. And this is where I've got a report that says that the doctor didn't know how much of it was fantasy. <laughs> fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's all in your head. Yeah. And this is what keeps, you know, women from speaking out is no one's believing them. Yeah, they're stuck in a cycle that's so much bigger than them. It's like, how do they even get out of it when authorities aren't listening? No, they're just not. Even doctors, you know, mm -hmm. 
So what do you, I mean, what do you think? I mean, this is like, it's like asking me something about how do you think we're going to cure HIV? I mean, how do you think there can be any like end to this? Or do you see that there's even a possibility or is it just advocacy and speaking out about it more can help? um, That's definitely important. But I think some laws need changing. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, so these guys that had raped you, none of them have ever had any charges against them. No, I went through a case. Actually, I've been through this twice, and I've tried to bring it back up. I went through a case not too long uh, before my book was out. Actually, um, it was a year long. They kept calling me in for video interviews because there were so many guys that I had to go over. Um, and they said, oh, you've got a really strong case because we have all these witnesses. One of the other girls testif- uh, wrote a statement. Um, another girl wrote a statement. Uh, that social worker wrote a statement. I had forensic evidence from one of the times where three guys raped me. Um, I had all my medical records. Um, fuck, what else did I have? I, ha- I had a lot of stuff. Um, Tons of proof. Long case, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, at the end of that year, they said we've decided not to even pass your case to prosecution. And I said, "Why?" And they said, "Well, you're having PTSD makes you an unreliable witness." And the DNA came back as three white guys. They weren't. They were Middle Eastern, and they said that it was probably just a glitch in their system. Because and the so they just tossed the whole thing out. Yeah, and it was all down to one male sergeant. It was his decision. Oh, my gosh. So yeah. you just feel completely helpless again. Yeah. You put yourself um, out there, and they've just, they're not doing anything about it. We're not doing shit. It, it really annoys me because I only done this because uh, one of the guys said to me he had new girls, and I was really, really worried. You know, I know what's going to happen to that girl, those girls. And um, that's why I reported it. Mm-hmm. Usually, I don't. I don't get on with the police. They know I fucking hate them. Um, and if this ever happens to my daughters, I won't rely on them. Right. That's all I'm gonna say on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I managed to keep them safe so far, so I think they'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's why I told them. And after my case was dropped, the officer said, "I'm going to give your number to a lady that you might be able to assist." you know, on the side and give us information. I said, okay. Um, this lady called me and said, the only way we really work is you'd have to spend time on a daily basis with these guys and report back to us every Friday what you find out because we need new, fresh information. And I did consider it. Mm-hmm. You, know, which, you know, it'd be me back in that position again so I couldn't do it. Yeah, no, that's like... How traumatizing to have to go yeah, and be around that. Yeah, I feel really bad about saying no because I know they've still done fuck all. Sorry, they've done nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And these girls are—they have there. like a new—they have a new group of girls, right? Yep. Yeah, because you guys have outgrown the system, I guess, or what well, their needs are. Yeah, I mean, like I said, when they see me, they still try and get me to go over, but. I do think there is an ulterior motive because they do always ask me, can you get me any young girls? And I would say no. Mm. I would never. Right. And then, so tell me again about your, what you do now for a living. 
because I find that really fascinating. Um, well, at the moment, okay, so last year, during the pandemic, um, over that year, I've done some training in security, mm-hmm. um, but not normal security. So I've done close protection, which is bodyguarding. Um, obviously, I have a goal with this, uh, but I've done uh, covert surveillance, intelligence operations. I've done the, secure, the close protective security, and I've done the hostile side of things as well. So um, that is really it's based with people that are going to Afghanistan. I ain't going there. Um, so I had my firearms do a bit of a resilience test, which, yeah, okay, that was scary. So they took us to a forest. Um, I was the only female, by the way. Um, and we had to protect a guy under gunfire and get him from one spot to another while people are firing at us. And then later on, we had to rescue him from uh, rebel militia. We'd done that. And then we were bagged, black, black hood and sort of held hostage at gunpoint, um, put into stress positions for like two hours. Um, I mean, you could have been, I don't know, an administrative assistant and just been typing up letters, but no, you totally go to this extreme. Like, what do you think made, like, drew you to that? Uh, Because I need to do something more. Speaking in Parliament, that's not enough for me. Doing a book, not enough. I, I need to do something more. So this was giving you like some of your power back. Yeah, well, mostly it was about helping people. Okay. That's what I want to do. I want to go and pull victims out. I, yeah, I don't want to just speak about it. You want to actually get involved, like physically get involved. Yeah, that's what I want to do. You would think most people would just want to like end this chapter in their life and never think about it again. But there's like a really strong um, feeling in the you that wanna, you want to help the victims that are currently being victimized? I think that's because the police don't do anything. I mean, the guys that I reported, they don't even, they're not even aware there was a case. They weren't even brought in. So yeah, I think more needs doing. Um, Over here, it'll be quite tricky because of the laws. We're not allowed to do much. Uh, We're not even allowed pepper spray. It's a firearm over here. Really? Yeah, we're not allowed. Wow, we can buy it at a sporting goods store here for five dollars if we get caught with that it's prison is that just anybody in general cannot have pepper spray nobody's allowed it oh wow we're not allowed nothing oh i didn't know that that's crazy yeah it's very it's very accessible here in the u.s no it's not here oh wow yeah girls usually should be holding it while they're going for jogs around you know remote areas around here but you guys don't have that if you get caught here just just don't do it Wow. So what's what form of protection do they expect? Uh, we're not allowed. Why? I want to do something. I've had enough of it. That, you know, I get tempted to name all these guys, but I know it's very unsafe, but I don't know. I'll mm-hmm. probably end up doing it. You do feel like at some point you'd want to reveal who they are? Yeah, I, I do really want to. Um, you mean publicly or to the police? Publicly. The, the police can go fuck themselves. Um, <laughs> as far as, sorry. As far no, as no, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, I really don't like them. Yeah, well, they haven't helped you. Or anybody else. Uh, that's that's what I want to do, what I want to do. And I have been sort of... I talked to Mira Sorvino as well. Do you know who she is? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you might. Um, yeah. She knows about my training. Um, she was quite good with my diagnosis too. She was... Yeah. And she said, why don't you work with Tim Ballard? Tim Ballard is the founder of 
OUR Rescue. Have you heard of those? No, what is that? It's a trafficking uh, movement. So they actually do pull kids out that are being trafficked. They infiltrate gangs. So, you know, they pretend to be like them. They infiltrate, they do a bit of surveillance, they do busts where people bring the girls and they get them out and they pass them on to an aftercare team. So he, have you contacted him? Um, he wanted to fly me out last November, but we're not allowed COVID. Mm, okay. So I'm hoping soon. So once COVID things start lifting, you probably will be very, a lot more active. Yeah. You'll be able to do more. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, yeah, well, I will keep watching for that. And well, we're always in contact too. So yeah, I want to know what's going on. And um, yeah, and you told me if I ever come to England, I can have tea at the House of Lords. Yeah, you. Is that what you said? You. Yeah, I will take you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Do you have anything else you want to add? There was something about um, adult work. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, which I'll actually send you some more stuff as well. I found some stuff. Uh, that's a big platform. They are very well known that sex workers use, but so do pimps and traffickers. What do they use it for? Is it like a... Okay, so the best way I can describe it, it's basically eBay, but it's women. Got it. So, okay. Um, I've had profiles, not that I've set up on there, that have been set up for me with my photo on there. Um, and what men can do is they can put a booking request in they'll detail everything they want and what they'll pay and how is this not i don't i don't ever understand how this is even happening how this isn't like shut down yeah and after they can leave a review it's just like ebay do they make it look like it's the girls are consenting and that's why it's not shut down yeah um i've had a few guys advertise me on there and they make various profiles so I, I think I told you this. They had a gothic one because apparently I look that way anyway, uh, and a schoolgirl one. So I've had those. He did set up others, but I didn't see them. Uh, so they're probably fucking still on there. Uh, but yeah, a lot of work came from those websites. It's guys looking for certain stuff. You know, like what, where's what? the task force that's stopping this? I don't get I it. Like I've put this forward to them. You know. Yeah, the best they can do is contact adult work and get profiles taken down. There's just, I feel like there should be a bigger governmental entity that's stopping all of this unless they're involved in it too. I mean, that's what I don't, I, it blows my mind that there's not a bigger agency putting the time and effort to shut all this stuff down. Yeah, I think that's what National Crime Agency are for, but I don't know where there's communication between the police and them. Mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot of holes in it though because it's still not being it's nothing's being shut down enough obviously this is just continuing and it's a you know it's a thing that's it's not slowing down uh, you know i i don't even know like i grew up in the 70s and 80s i don't know that this was something that was happening and we were just unaware of it because we didn't have the ab ability to share it through any kind of social media yeah but and I think that's why people didn't believe me as well, because you didn't hear of it back then. Mm -hmm. So you feel it's always been, you feel it's always been happening. Yeah, definitely before even me. Um, but I wonder about like the psychologists, do they see these stories now all over the news and remember what I told them? Probably not. But, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's now that there's this ability for girls to speak out, even though it's 
terrifying because they don't know if it's going to affect their their life there is this ability now to speak out with through a book or through like your twitter and there's celebrities that are speaking out on it as well so that's got to be i mean it's got to feel good to know that you have these celebrities in your corner who have totally believed you and support you a hundred percent yeah that's been really helpful especially when my book came out you know they helped promote it and it's done so well um I don't know if you know this about a book, but it's very, very hard to get published if you're nobody. Um, obviously, it's easy if you're well-known. I got... They have to pick out of 10,000 copies, you know, and that's not easy, is it? It was actually a Sunday Times bestseller, which is a big thing over What here. year did it... What year was it published? 2017. And do you know how many copies have been sold to date? Uh, I think the last time I checked, it was something like 60,000 which is quite a lot. It is. Um, but I have audio as well. Um, it's been translated, so India, check, into check. Um, Did somebody else do the uh, audio voice? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just bringing awareness that needs to be out there for sure. So, I mean, yeah. books are still a great source of awareness. Yeah. yeah. But like I said, it's not easy to get published. Um some of the other survivors that I speak to on Twitter have since released a book as well, which is good. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. you're very active on Twitter. Yeah, for sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, most of it you'll see is probably conflict with far-right people. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I know you stick to your guns. <laughs> yeah. You say you're, like, quiet and all that, but you, you're, you're strong-willed. I mean, I definitely get that from you. I am now. I don't mm. think I was before. Maybe my training has made a difference. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you so much for doing this. And it's going to bring more awareness going on in the world that most people are completely unaware of. Yeah. Your story blew my mind. And um, uh, you've given me so much information. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm so glad that you're okay now and that you've come through it. And you're not in jail. And you haven't no, killed anybody. And you've yeah. got two beautiful daughters and you're trying to make something good out of it and help you know other girls and get them out of trafficking if you can so it's amazing like you're full circle yeah that's what i want to do and i don't really do things by halves once i've got an idea that's it it's just you go for it <laughs> yeah even with my book that was a nightmare to try and get published we, i think we spent years trying and trying but i just like kept trying trying try this one try this one and yeah, eventually we got it. That's awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much again for doing this. I appreciate it so much. Okay, have a good evening. Me too. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to be notified for any of my upcoming podcasts, be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help this girl out, then please rate, review, and share my show. Thanks, guys.